we're just layering systems for systems sake. Uh, one of those, like, wouldn't it be cool if bleh? And it's like, yeah, but like, I mean, anything would be cool. <laughs> hey everybody, welcome to episode 304 of Coffee with Butterscotch, the game dev comedy podcast of Butterscotch shenanigans. I'm Seth and I'm the games programmer. I'm Adam, I'm highly caffeinated. I'm Sam, I'm holding a microphone. Uh, this is a show where we talk about life, business, and working in the games industry. Today is March 26th, 2021. Dunk on everyone. And before we get started, we do have a warning. There's going to be swears and profanes in this uh, podcast. It's explicit. And also, we'd like to thank our supporters over at moneygrab.bscotch.net. Uh, we got a new one from Digital Wizard. Ooh. Uh, but there's, no, there's no A in there, so it's wizard. Uh, who says... Thanks for being such awesome people every week. Special thanks for your discussions around mental health. Your testimonies are part of the reason why I am now successfully treating my ADHD. Hey, congrats. Hey. Didn't even realize I was dealing with it until I talked to a doc. Cheers to you all. Welcome to the, yes. uh, yeah, welcome to being, a, high, being an adult and not, yep. yeah, and nobody knowing what it means to have a brain, you know? Yep. Yeah. Uh, it's a crazy world out there and, uh. You know, we're all just doing our best. So. <laughs> uh, and also thanks to our recurring supporters who are uh, donating monthly. Well, thank you very much. We appreciate it. All right, let's talk about, uh, let's talk about life. Well, I mean, we got one big, big news. What's the big life? I'm getting shanked in the arm to strengthen my immune system. Getting the COVID vaccine uh, today. Well, first, first part of it. I got two, two weeks. I got to go back and get the. The other part. You're getting the, the two-doser. Yeah. Uh, what a relief. What, yeah. a, what a relief. Now, you, you will know? be let down by, by one particular thing that no one for some reason has designed, which is the experience after the shot. They're literally like, this is – think about it, This is like a – this is a shot that symbolizes so much for a person, mm -hmm. right? And then they're like, yeah, just go wander around for like 15 minutes. I don't know. Buy a snack or something. <laughs> and <laughs> – you know, as far as like, it's very unceremonious. Yeah, they could they could do. Well, so yeah, much like contrast to that to like your final chemo, right? Where there's like, yes. there's like a bell you go ring, and like the whole like everybody there like knows what that means, and mm -hmm. you know, everybody whole, starts clapping as soon as you and you slam that bell. Like I fucking I almost ripped the thing off the wall. I was like, duh. Yeah. Well, and, you know? and not only that, but like I still do have to come back in two weeks. You know, so yeah. it's like it's really it's really drawn out. It's not it's not a very yeah, the, the emotional impact of the moment does not match the actual thing that's happening yes. in the moment at yeah. all. Um, but it's going to be it's going to be pretty cool. Uh, you know, there's always a chance that there's like that I would have an adverse reaction. You know, I might have some nausea, might uh, might even get a slight fever or something for a day. Mm -hmm. I don't give a shit. <laughs> I don't even give a shit. Let's go. Uh, it's gonna have a sore doing business. Yeah, gonna have a sore arm for a weekend. I don't even give a shit. That's that's just part of it. You know, gotta break better some eggs. Uh, you gotta break some eggs, eggs to have a sandwich. Yep. Whatever. Yep. So, yep. Uh, very excited about it. And uh, oh, well, you know, I'll talk more about. It, but yeah, I gotta go driving like an hour and a half to go get it, and then hour and a half back, and then I gotta do that again in two weeks. So, a little road trip. It's just a thing, but worth it. Uh, so let's talk about, uh, let's talk about Crashlands 2. Yeah. Lots of, lots of interesting philosophical stuff, uh, sort of sh shook out this week with, uh, our work on Crashlands 2. So last week we talked about environments, how we had spent quite a bit of time working on the tile set and, uh, adding all these little extra bits of like flair to the world to make it feel more alive and like cool, like sunlight dappling in the environment. Um, but the thing that has literally just been sitting there for all of development is the water. Mm -hmm. It's just been sort of a flat blue sheet. Yep. Um, and the reason that it had been sitting there is because we kind of knew like this is a big project. And, uh, and it's also the case that we kind of felt like the water needed a – it needed an environment to be sort of in – yeah, water's not water, super interesting. Water is kind of nothing. Mm -hmm. Like it's it's an invisible, m m moving. It's transparent, so 
uh, water is really all about the environment that it's in. Like what kind of light is it reflecting? You know, all of that stuff. Um, what does it reveal so, underneath? If it yeah, is, there, is there stuff under the water? And it just kind of never felt like the right time, you know? Mm-hmm. And, Which was also uh, true in original Crashlands and that just carried all the way through to launch. It, just, it was just kind of never the right time. <laughs> yeah. uh, so this week, it was the right time. And uh, Sam and I spent a lot of the week just digging through all kinds of YouTube videos for all kinds of games, looking at what their water is, what it looks like, uh, looking up tutorials for all kinds of like a uh, game engines, seeing like how is how how do people think about making water in three D? How do they think about making it in two D? How does it? How do people do it in Godot? How do they do it in Unity? How do they do it in Game Maker? Finding out that none of those things that were doing the thing that we needed or wanted, mm-hmm. uh, as is always the case somehow. Yeah, but uh, you know we were able to kind of scrape together enough concepts that we could adapt them to what we wanted to do. Um, and oh boy, I think it's working. We got it. We got water, uh, water effects in the game and it feels great. It's, it's, dope. it's uh, I'd say it's, uh, it's about 80% of the way to where I would like it to be, which is dramatically farther than zero, which is where it has been. <laughs> um, and it's good enough already that, Actually, I I had uh, gotten so you know we we have our our deployment pipeline so whenever we put out a patch uh, for our internal QA then like it goes out into Android and you know wherever else like internally so we can test it on different devices. So this morning I uh, I just got up and while I was eating my toast in the morning I just walked out onto a peninsula in Crashlands Two and just stared out across the ocean and just watched the sunrise. <laughs> <laughs> And the thing is, like, we don't we don't have any kind of like powerful sunrise effects happening yet uh, with relation to the water or anything. But it was just kind of a nice, uh, mm-hmm. it was just kind of a nice moment. And then I uh, kind of came into the the morning meeting all like fired up, and I was like, "We got to have wave sounds. If you get next to an ocean, whatever the hell that means, we got to figure out how to like make it sound like you're next to an ocean, you know." Uh, but then we had a big, like a short discussion, like, well, what's the difference between a swamp and an ocean? Like a swamp shouldn't have a bunch of weight, you know. Mm-hmm. And that's a, that's a whole other can of worms. But uh, <laughs> but just to kind of zoom out now about like why, you know, what what's the what's the point of doing all this stuff? Um, well, I think it all kind of yeah. I mm-hmm. think the the why around water is one of the most interesting ones because there are very few games where water is actually like the core mechanic in some way. And yet people tend to spend a lot of time on water, on making it look good. And so, yeah, the question is, why would you do that? What's going on there? Really? Cause this is kind of the, there. it's kind of the, the quintessential, um, uh, what's, what's the word? It's, it, it's like just purely trying to develop immersion. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. all that it's trying to do. Um, yeah, and, and that's that really is the why. It's it's if you're trying to create a world, um, if there's water in that world, the water should be water. I think it's kind of right? like <laughs> I think it's kind of like the human face problem, right? Where if you're going to have a human face in there, there's like you can go style. There's like all kinds of stuff that you can do, right? But if it's a human face, people are really good at like trying to parse a human face and convert that into like, oh, that's hideous, or oh my god, that's scary, or like, oh, that looks mm-hmm. so real, or oh, that's an uncanny value, whatever. We're just really good at processing faces, right? Yeah. And so when you have faces, then then you have to make these like early, you have to make these decisions in your design about what do I want the experience of somebody looking at this face to be? Because that, because a face like takes way more of your computational cycles in your brain than like anything else that's happening on screen, right? That's just like how our brains work. And I think water is like similar for environments because water is actually – there's something about it where because it just isn't a thing actually, like it's nothing, and it's always the same thing. Unlike a tree. Like you can make an alien tree. Like sure, I, I can buy anything. You throw some weird-ass squiggly thing on there. I'm like, cool, that's yeah. a tree. I get it. But the water you next make, to it – You can make alien water. You can make alien water. <laughs> you know? The it's water can a, reflect alien a big, stuff. Yeah. yeah. 
It's a big pool of liquid. Well, yeah, and, I mean, water is a primal. Think about it. Like, what has been the problem for people most of the time? Having enough freaking water, right? Yeah, like you yeah. have to cities have are water. built next to water. You want to like people live next to coasts yeah. primarily. But you I know, think it water also is like, like it's got so many. It's got universal rules, right? And simple ones, or seemingly simple ones from like, you know, watching it, right? But like, unlike, unlike anything else, anything else, again, like, you know, make a tree. Like, and even faces, my earlier example, like, doesn't really apply here because you can have alien faces and so on. Like, sure, they catch your attention, but you can buy almost any face, right? Because faces don't really have rules, right? Um, they have like, or they have, they have very, they have very sloppy rules for things you'll accept as a face. Um, but for, but except like for like in the case of Roblox where the eyes are just way too high on the oh, yeah, things, on yeah, their heads and it just creeps. It's always yeah. creeped me out. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, but, but, still like, but there's a huge range in there where they can be like, if they were just a little bit lower, but still technically way too high, you'd still buy it. Right. There's a lot of, and water is similar. Cause like you, you can still stylize water. Right. But but the range of things that like uh, that a, a viewer will buy, I think, is just like it's pretty constrained. It's pretty constrained, yeah. you know. Yeah, and so it's it's one of those weird things too, where um, water uh, it becomes more uh, more obvious where like how it's missing the mark when you see it moving, when you see it reflect reflecting light or not reflecting light properly, or, or whatever the case may be. Um, and unfortunately, it's very hard to explain. Yep. So if you see it and you're talking to somebody about it, it's not like if you have a picture of a tree and you're like, oh, yeah, like these branches are just way too skinny or so, you know, like something like that. You just point at a thing and, and, and say something about it that's obvious. But with uh, water, it's actually a bunch of layers of effects, like moving around and interacting with each other and interacting with the environment. And so being able to easily talk about what is missing from it or what needs to be changed is just very hard to do. Mm-hmm. You know, it takes it's, a lot of iteration. And everything yeah. is and subtle, like all of it. You can't it's like, all very subtle. You can't yeah. just be like, mm, this mouth should be twice as big because then it'll look really a lot meaner. You know, there's like yeah. nothing like Water doesn't just, have a mouth. It doesn't have anything permanent. Yeah, it's just know? like these reflections are moving a little too fast. Or like sometimes they like the brightness kind of clusters too much. Yeah, sort of, and that seems bad for some reason. But like, the why? The why? What is yeah. it? Yeah, I think we yeah. we use our same technique as we talked about for some of this other uh, this other stuff where we did a targeting image, basically to kind of get this started, which I think actually helped a ton because it broke down. Basically, I had to break down in in basically paint what those layers of effects were, which then when we went to go implement them, we actually knew what the layers were as opposed to like we had, we had started on the water for like a day before we realized, oh, we actually need to back up and like decide what this looks like and figure out what that is first before we try to do anything because it's it's too fucking nebulous. Like there's there's too much vagary going on here. We need to know what the stack is. It's basically, it's a, it's a post-processing stack, right? Of like, yep. here's all the cool stuff that you have to do and until you get all of them, it's it's just not going to quite go. And so I think being able to actually bust them out separately into this into these layers by taking that time to do a targeting image uh, is actually what gave us the ability to like pretty rapidly put it together. I mean, this is like the first time I think that we made we've made water that like really feels very good. Yeah, it's you know? very cool. Yeah, and it's only going to get better because you know this is our first draft of it, really. Mm-hmm. Um, and and as with all things in in uh, Crashlands Two, we're going to get to a point where we're like, yeah, this is good, and then. Three months from now, we're going to be like, what is this garbage? And then we're going to find some new thing, spend another week and find a new thing to like really take it up to even another level. Yeah, but it, um, it only gets better from here, though, which is, you know, the main thing. Which is great. Yeah. If it already feels good, then, you know, that's good. Um, and so then, so that kind of then leads into a uh, conversation about build mode. So we kind of we're wrapping up water. And like while I was digging into all of the technical stuff of trying to build the, the tech stack to make water in Crashlands 2, Sam was doing a bunch of design work and trying to answer some questions about build mode in Crashlands 2. We've had a lot of ideas about what this might look like and what it might sort of be um, and how it might be different or the same as original Crashlands. Uh, But all of those details are sort of contingent upon sort of a, a much bigger question about why. Right, like, what's the point? Why do we, what is build mode? Uh, sort of emotionally, 
mm-hmm. at the core of the game? Why do we have it? And what do we want it to feel like in Crashlands 2 to, to use a feature like this? So, uh, Sam, do you have, do you have, yeah, yeah. I think, um, I mean, one of the, one of the weirdest things about it is actually that as we, as we've got the environment sort of ratcheted up to a point where they feel really good, literally like, but the next thing I wanted to do instinctually was just build like a, I just wanted to build a damn house. I want to live here. I want to live here. I want to live here. (laughs) Um, and so I think there's, there's this natural kind of, uh, you know, when you're building a, uh, a bigger game, like something like Crashlands, uh, and by big, all I'm saying there is not not in terms of content, but in terms of systems, right? There's a lot of there's actually a lot of different games going on inside of the game. Then the order of operations that you build those systems through is extremely important and very it has a massive impact on all downstream systems. So, uh, so for example, like focusing on uh, in our case getting getting enough of the player character in combat, enough of the creatures and creature combat done. And then doing this, taking this time on the environment has made it so that it's become very apparent that like the next thing that is the most important right thing to do is this, uh, is answering these build mode questions. And importantly, what that means is that build mode is now going to be created in the context created by these previous things we've put together, right? And that seems like the right way, that right order of things that should inform build mode, right? Which is sort of like the environment, and the fact that you can be murdered by the environment, essentially by creatures and stuff like that, right? Um, yeah. And so where we're, where we're coming at it from is basically asking the question like, okay, you know, we know what we liked about the original, which is sort of like the ease with which building stuff was a thing. Uh, but there's tons of stuff that was really, really bad about it from a, from a mechanical standpoint, uh, as well as just from like a, its impact on your experience in the world broadly. So people who played the original will know that all one's key strategy was just to carry like three floors with you so that at any point, if you ran into a body of water, you could just put down, swap into build mode, throw the floors down, walk across it, pick the floors back up, keep going. Right. And that's one of those things that we never, we didn't give build mode enough you know, time, frankly, like in, in design energy to figure out like what that really meant for the world. And what it meant largely was that, there was no way for us, aside from creating a walled outpost, to create a situation where a player could come across an area that they couldn't get into. They could see it on the periphery. Yeah. They can't – they had to figure out how to get over there using some other interesting game mechanic. Well, and we, or, and or we had to or have something like this because of the fact that they're the, – World the noise yeah, yeah. World was procedural, so, yeah. So, yeah, it might have been the case. Like, maybe we just we would design like a super cool outpost, right? That would just happen and, to be surrounded by water, like, and just yep. by, yeah, by chance on somebody's save, it's just in the middle of a lake, and now they just can't go there. Uh, which, so it was kind of a, and again, like Sam was saying, uh, every game system you make exists in the context of the prior game systems that it you know is being stacked on top of, and in our case uh, with original Crashlands. The first core game system was the idea of procedurally generated mm-hmm. worlds. Um, and every other – literally, like every other mechanic that we added in was contingent upon that. Yeah. It sort of right? had to pass so, through that secondary constraint regardless of what the emotional intent was kind of, you know, after yeah. the fact. So when it came down to what it meant to build a, to build a base, what it meant to – find and fight and tame uh, or, or, or uh, raise your own creatures, do quests. All, like every Everything that we did had to run through this filter of, you know, how does this work in a randomly generated world that we don't mm-hmm. control the, mm-hmm. the, the scene, right? Um, and and one, of the, one of the outcomes of that was that we just needed players to be able to walk across any body of water at any time. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Even, because we didn't know tar, where they were going to be. Frankly, like it just tar anything. pits, yeah, anything, and it, and it was even crazier and stuff like the bog. Where what we really wanted was we wanted the water to be like stomach acid. That's why it's mm-hmm. green, you know. Um, but nope, you can just you can just and of course there's there's some story elements in there. Like when you uh, fish in the the savanna, you get the uh, the the, the fat heads or whatever. And mm-hmm. but when you when you fish in the uh, in the bog, you get skeletonized fatheads, right? As in, as if to imply like these fish are sort of all over the place, 
in the world, you know? But Somehow they got over here. They got over here and then they just sort of melted in the, in <laughs> yes. the acid, right? Um, but of course, you could still just go ahead and just lay some wood floors right across that acid and they just stay there yeah, forever. Yeah, as it's kind of bubbling because we have this little bubble. If, you yeah. Know. You go across, you go into a tar pit surrounded by turtles. It's bubbling, boiling tar. No problem. Just throw some wood floors on top of it and <laughs> walk just right walk across. across. Yeah. So th- this becomes this big wrinkle for us uh, for questions too, which is like you want to preserve that uh, that freedom of being able to like find a place where you want to build something cool, right? You're like, ooh, this like that that feeling in, in open world games of finding like the right spot, you know, mm-hmm. to build your little cabin. That's like that's amazing, right? Super fun. Uh, so we want to preserve that, but we also don't want you to be able to just like fucking just walk across any body of water we put out there because now we've lost the ability to make traversal into an interesting mechanic because all you do now is just carry your fucking floors with you, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yep. But we also don't want you to not be able to do anything interesting with water. So like exactly. – It would be cool if you could have boats. It would be cool if you could build a fishing dock, right? And so how do we build a rule set that allows for – allows for it to feel like you still can do really cool, interesting stuff and that you actually have a ton of freedom. But with like exactly the right set of limitations that we still are able to do things like use water as a barrier, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Despite the fact that you can technically throw a boat in it. Maybe, right? Um, so, like, how do we set up a rule set that allows for that that also is intuitive and feels like it makes sense so that we don't have to – we don't have to feel like we need to justify Because most things you can get away with not justifying, you know? But if it's that wretched failure problem, if you allow a player to do too much and then just, like, stop at some point – It's too obvious, you know? It's too obvious. Yeah. So, you have to, have to find ways to yeah. – Yeah, exactly. You find ways to, to deal with that. Yeah, so where this all ends up kind of coming back to is, again, this – the nice thing about having made the original questions is that we have a lot of context for these design problems. And so really what we want, what we want questions to, to feel like is a game of, of exploration and adventure that pulls in this sort of settlement building piece to it. And I say settlement in particular, because it's not necessarily just about like you, uh, ideally there's like, you know, NPCs and stuff that can, uh, that can come join you. And you can build stuff for them, whatever else. Again, this is all high level stuff we're figuring out. So, and none of it exists. None of it exists. So, uh, <laughs> these are these are ideas that we are working toward, but mm-hmm. who knows what it's going to end up looking like? Yeah, but we also and we want to maintain that sense of freedom uh, of of where you put your put your stuff, uh, being able to cross certain gaps with these things. While also basically, to me, it's transforming the original Crashlands experience, which I would describe as wandering only. Yeah, original questions is a game of wandering because it's, it's wandering coupled with vertical progression. So there's not it's yeah. not a, there's not a wide set of things that you do, right? It's actually narrowed, and you're constantly throwing things away as you move forward, mm-hmm. which is like it's propelling yeah. you through a wandering exploration journey, right? Right. Yeah, and you can't really seek in original Crashlands because of the procedural nature of of the game, um, and so the intent is to come up with this this basic rule set that actually you know, adds, adds a bit more physicality to the building process while again, maintaining a lot of the ease with which you can throw down floors and whatever else, uh, for that sort of creative flow thing. And then, uh, just, just enough of these little additional rules to make it so that, so that it feels like one, this is real stuff that's going down. You're putting it down. And then two, that there are, you know, there are realistic limits that then make it so that the world is actually enriched by the fact that those limits exist. Like that's sort of the, the tricky bit, right? As far as picking those rules. So uh, for example, being able to put, you know, floors into water, like, yes, you will still be able to do it. Uh, but only so far, because actually the water has depth. Now you can see it. This is part of the, again, the benefit of having this water done to this degree before we start build mode is that, you can see the depth, like it's there. It's a very easy thing that for someone could grok and be like, oh yeah, it makes sense. I can't just put like uh, it's too deep. It's just too deep. Yeah. yeah. Well, and easy. not only that, but but it's not it's no longer just about, oh, I've made a gold floor, I've made a wood floor, I've made a bone floor. It's a floor is a floor is a floor. I just slap that onto some water. Boom. It's like, well, no, what a, what about yeah, you're the not fact gonna put that, floors in the water, you're gonna put a dock. Yeah, you need in to build. You need to build a, a structure that's meant to go in the water that has supports, you know, mm-hmm. underneath it, because um, that's how you know stuff works. Yeah, it's, <laughs> yeah. It's, 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 since we can control that, we can just say like, oh yeah, you can't just put floors in water. Like that's easy. 
And then we can decide how we present to you the things that you can put on water, right? So right. if we let you build a dock, we could just let you build a dock. Just like literally it's a just thing. call it, it a dock. And yeah. it just sticks out three tiles. That's just what it does, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. And then boom, there's no question anymore of like, like there's nothing, there's just nothing. It's just like, oh, that's the thing you get to do. And now that's you a, a dock, dock right? <laughs> uh, and the alternative would be that, oh, we like, we let you build a dock mounting point, right? And then you can like extend onto it. And then we just have some visual and either we could just at some point tell you, oh, it's too long. That's easy. Or yeah. we could have some visual representation that the dock changes as it gets longer in a way that makes it feel like it shouldn't be able to get longer at that point or, or whatever. Yeah. Like we actually have lots of options, but yeah, but the, the whole like a floor is a floor is a floor and you can slap one anywhere doesn't allow for that. It doesn't, it doesn't allow for us to build in interesting limitations. Yeah. Right. And I think that's, that's been the, the ticket is again, honing in on the, the emotional questions here, which is like, what, what is this supposed to feel like? And then, and then again, like you really have to step through a bunch of this weird stuff to that seems maybe completely so, like like it wouldn't matter per se uh, for the overall game experience. Um, but when you really dig into it, something as simple as like as basically the question of how far can you put water or how far can you put floors into water uh, can massively affect the shape of the literal like ge- geographical shape of the game world at the end of the day. Uh, as well as that that player experience of of what it feels like to interact with and move through and be challenged by that environment, right? Yeah. Um, well, and there's and there's a bounce problem here too that we were also talking about as we were kind of thinking through different ways we could do this, which is that for for a complex game where there's a lot of sideways progression as well as you know vertical progression that you want to be open world, so you don't want to have a really strict way in which people interact things interact with things and discover things in a certain order, right? but you still want to be able to gate stuff, right, in various ways, then you need to have a rule set that is simultaneously, like, pretty flexible. So, like, it feels like you can do a lot. Um, But that also allows you as the designer to have a good sense of what the player can do, right? And so if, if you have a rule, because we we entertain the idea of, like, what if, what if, like, over time you can, like, just build further by, you just get better materials or you can get bigger docks or whatever, right? And the consequence of that is that you as the, as a designer now needs to actually pay attention to the question of like, how far could a, a player build a dock at when they get to this point, right? Yeah. yeah. Like, and then, and then as soon as you want to change something, like add a new dock that can go further or, or any, anytime now you change one of those rules because, because you have this whole concept of like, oh yeah, there's a progression system here. Then now all of a sudden you have to rebalance the entirety of not just the game, but the way the world is designed, right? You gotta go right. add the, width, the width of every river. Yeah, yeah the width of every <laughs> river is a change. Yeah, that. so, right. So you need to find, so like, so that was the, the thing we, we kind of realized was that we need to find, we actually need to have some like really good, but, but meaningful limits that aren't tied to a progression system. And that, you know, and, but, the, but that if we build a simple rule set to, to make it so that various kinds of progression become possible, but in a very controlled way that gives us lots of handles. And yeah. since we don't actually know what we're going to do, I'll just, I'll just like cite one of the examples that we talked about. Uh, Cause we don't know if we're going to do it. Who knows? But, but the idea of like making it so that you, if we wanted to let you use a boat, right. Mm-hmm. That you could, and if in a boat, you could explore a whole body of water. Right. But if we only let you get out of the boat and into the boat at a dock, cause you all need to tie it up. Got it tied up, right? I mean, it's so now a boat. it's simple. So now all of a sudden, we simultaneously give you the ability to like have boats, which is cool, and explore whole bodies of water, right? Uh, and discover stuff that you can now see on the shoreline, right? But we take away the boat as a mechanic that makes water meaningless, right? Mm-hmm. So as a well, and also the thing. boat is just kind of. It's in whatever body of water you you constructed it. Yeah, in. it's just in there now. Right. right. So you're not you're not gonna be able to like drag the boat across the continent to a new river or something. Yeah. But then but then now if like if on the other side of the body of water like you you somehow do get there right, and then you create or we provide a mechanism to tie up a boat, right? But now all of a sudden we've created a shortcut mechanism, but we didn't give you a shortcut. We just made it so you can create your own shortcut, shortcut mm-hmm. by putting a boat in the water, right? And yeah. so, so now, listen, instead of just being like, oh, a path has, has been built or, oh, yeah, once you have a boat, you can just go anywhere. We've now built this interesting system that simultaneously feels like you have a lot of control and a lot of ability to go like explore and do stuff uh, with just enough constraint that we can still, in a way that we understand and that doesn't change, uh, control just when and how you actually can mm-hmm. get across that body of water fully. 
Yeah. So there's a, there's a lot of dimensions to all this. And again, don't take any of the stuff that we're talking about to mean like, this is what we are doing in Crashlands yeah. too. These are we don't know if we're going to have boats. These are hypotheticals. Um, because the, the core of all these questions is to get back to uh, mechanics are not mechanics are not the game. The game is the emotional experience mm-hmm. that is generated by the mechanics, right? And so what we're trying to think about is what do we want people to feel like when they play Crashlands 2? And every mechanical decision, every system we layer in is supposed to be in service of that. And if we don't have an answer to that question for any given thing, then we've, we've, uh, we've, we're, we're doing it backwards, mm-hmm. right? We're just, we're just layering systems for systems sake. Uh, one of those, like, wouldn't it be cool if bleh? And it's like, yeah, but like, I mean, anything would be cool. <laughs> so, that's not, that's not enough. Uh, what's the, what are we trying to really make people feel? Um, and so, uh, I think the last little thing to, to talk about with the, the crash ins two stuff is this, is this kind of interesting question of, of goals versus outcomes. And this is something that we've kind of touched on a bit, I think, um, sort of thematically throughout the, the life cycle of the podcast and stuff. But, but, uh, one of the conversations we had at the start of development of Crashlands 2, even like when we were like first putting together the, the high level vision of the game and stuff is just like, what do we want the reception of this game to, to be? How do we want the public to respond to this game? And we said that, you know, we want to make a game that is worthy of getting a game of the year nomination. Right. Mm-hmm. Which is a really, I think, important way to frame that because we don't decide what games get a game of the year nomination. Yeah. Right. And uh, it's also not the qual it's not specifically the quality of the game that allows for it to happen. Right. Because because uh, those nominations are a finite resource. Right. Yeah. So there so, might be 50 games this year that are worthy of it and 10 will get it or yeah. five will get it, depending on who's, you know, mm-hmm. what award show we're talking about. Yeah, or, and it also, or, de- yeah, exactly. It depends on who in that moment is looking at it. So like, so one year there might be a different set of people and then also a different set of competitors, right? So that the same game in one year might get it in the following year, not, right? Yeah. And so, so if we're talking about like, we want to make a game that's worthy of, of this title, or we want to make a game that, that people just can't ignore, you know, that when they, when they see it, they're just like, oh my God, mm-hmm. I have to have this, right? Well, we may not get to decide who sees it, right? But what we can do is try to make something that has enough emotional impact and, and resonance to it that when someone sees it, we elicit a response. Um, and so there's certain things that we control and that's where our goals need to be. And, and that is essentially, it's, it's on the quality of the game, right? Mm-hmm. It's, on, it's on the design, it's on the aesthetics, it's on the feel of, and the vibe of the game. Um, but our goals can't be player numbers or revenue targets or actually getting game of the year. Mm-hmm. Right. right. Or even right. being well-received, right? Yeah. We, we can make a game that could be re- well-received. Right, that's the goal, right? Uh, but we can't control whether it is, and because that's and, up, that's on everybody else. Yeah, and I think that know? framing is really important because it's easy to get frozen by by the by your ambition, the, <laughs> by the ambition of like of what's yeah. supposed to happen, what you're trying to accomplish, right? Whether it's and this is true at any level, right? Because like because we already know this is a commercial pr- uh, product. We already know because Crashlands Two is already out that this thing is going to go into you you know, crash land systems. Right? Yeah. Sort of crash land. There's a crash. Land. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and so, and, and we also, you know, already know, we already know who we're going to talk to to see if we can get any platform deals. Like we already know all of this stuff. So like we kind of have a sense of like, yeah, crash lands two is a game we're going to sell to people. That's going to happen. Right. We don't know the level of success at all. We don't know what the reception will look like, but we know we're going to sell this game. Um, which is very different than, you know, if you're starting out, you're making a game, you know, your first game or one of your first games and exploring this idea of like what it means to make a commercial thing and, and so on. Right. Where now everything is uncertainty and you're just like, can I sell this? Like, you know, like what, what's going to happen here. Right. And, uh, and by focusing so much on like, on the goal of selling the thing, um, or, or 
finding the target audience or, or whatever, um, all you're left with is things you don't control, you know? And yep. so if you do the same thing, like nothing changes, just reframe the goal to be focused on, uh, on the part that you do control, which is it, the thing that you make being the kind of thing, someone, something that yep. someone would buy, right. Being the kind of thing that, uh, at a, at a quality level and, and with, a with an intended kind of market segment, sort of, right? Because again, you can't control who actually gets it or what market it falls into necessarily. But but you know like the kinds of stuff that people are into, you know? So if you're making something that is the kind of thing people are into, then that's the part you control. Mm -hmm. And so by focusing on that part, that also makes it so that the sting when you then go launch it of the parts you don't control, right, can, can go down. Because the fact is, you know, most games do not sell. Uh, most you, things, most things do not sell. Period, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and and that's not independent of like like the the quality still has to be there, right? But the quality is not sufficient. Um, it just is true that it's very hard to actually go from a thing that is worthy of success to that thing actually having success, right? Yep. And if you focus just on the worthiness part, <laughs> right? And have that be the target. Then it's, be well, the then goal. it's just about dice rolls. That, yeah, <laughs> after that, it's rolling dice. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, I think that's. I think that's right. Um, it can be really easy to just get get hung up in. In those outcomes and 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 trying to think of ways to do it. And, and I have spoken with with people who have worked at uh, at companies or whatever where, where, you know, the boss will come in and say like this year. As a company, our revenue target is whatever, $15 million. And last year we made $10 million. And so this year we're really going to do 50% more money numbers. Mm-hmm. And, and then that, that's it. Like that's the, that's the goal, right? Uh, but then there's no conversation about process, about like what are we, like, what are we changing to – to do that, mm-hmm. and how do we make sure that we make that much, right? Because mm-hmm. you can't, you can't, um, and so, so well, and, instead- and maybe you can, but then that should be the thing. Like, if there's some input output relationship that your business has, where it's just like, right. oh yeah, we if just there's ten percent more in here, we get ten percent more out there, right? Then you can, but that is the, the target, right? Like, right? It's just say, add ten percent more, more to your in? inputs. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and so so this idea of of just like declaring what the outcome is is going to be, and then just kind of like uh, carrying on uh, is just a it's just it's a very weird thing. Um, and so yeah, I don't know. You guys have any final thoughts on that? I think it's just a, it's an interesting way to to think about stuff. Yeah, I mean, it, it's, I think it's an it's an important framing distinction, and it doesn't necessarily help with the all the emotional problems that go into dealing with like you making a thing. And trying to make it be successful. Yeah, it's right? just hard. It's just hard, and it, and it doesn't like it doesn't. The the goal of this kind of framing is is one just the realism that it's it's only uh, reasonable, or I guess it's only it's only it's yeah it's only reasonable to worry about things that you can control. But we're not reasonable as people because we're also emotional, right? So, but the idea is that by 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 thinking about the stuff that you can reason through. Um, that can help tamper the parts that you can't, which is your emotional yeah. responses to stuff. Um, so it is important to, to constantly think about the, how you're framing things because if you are framing things based on on things you don't control, right? And if that's what you're reasoning about, then you can't possibly have a good emotional response to that, right? Yeah, because stuff is just going to happen now. Stuff is now just going to happen. Sad about it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but I, I also think it's one, one kind of cool thing about this, though, is this idea of. Um, so for, for us, for crash Lands two, we talked about our goal being, uh, a game that is h- hard, if nigh, if nigh impossible to ignore when you see it. Yes. Right. We see it and you're like, this thing stands out. It's one of a kind. It's beautiful. It's smooth. Looks, it looks inviting. I have to have it. Right. Um, and it's weird because, uh, you actually can kind of measure that. Mm-hmm. And, and, uh, I think an interesting example is like this week as I was working through the water, working on the water and I just, I knew it wasn't there because when I looked at it, I was like, 
It's just, I'm not, fe- I don't feel it. I don't feel, I don't feel anything, mm-hmm. but I'm looking at this water. And I just kept kind of tweaking it. And it wasn't actually until like, we had kind of called the water like good enough. Um, but then yesterday morning I was like, I, I just, I got to try a few more things. And I did. And then I pushed it over and Sam started like building some train with it. And then he just goes, Oh my God, <laughs> this water is just amazing. Yeah, it's just like, one of those things there. every so often it just hits you <laughs> while you're, yeah. while you're doing stuff. Yeah. You're like, yeah. Oh. Well, then, And then this morning, like as part of you just like waking up and getting about your day, you like specifically I, booted up the game on your phone, walked I wanted, into I just a wanted peninsula to, look at it. to be yeah. surrounded by as much water as possible. And then just looked at the water. Yeah. And it's like, okay, there it is. And, it, and the thing is like, I don't know what that means. I don't know if that's going to make the game sell more copies. I don't know. I don't know if that's going to raise a critic's meta, like a Metacritic score of the game. You can't control but it. I know, but I know what the goal was, which was, you know, we're trying to make a world that feels amazing to be in. And you can feel that, right? So, so I, and I can see what people's reactions are. And, and Sam actually had a similar thing when we were planning out the build mode stuff, which was this idea of, of having it so that if, as soon as you see something that's possible to build or like see the start of, of the build mode in Crash Bandicoot 2 that you're just like, oh my God, I just want to build everything. Yep. <laughs> uh, and he was talking to, if you want to talk about this, Sam, when you're talking yeah, to yeah. Diana about it. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I run a lot of stuff by, uh, by my wife because she has very clear emotional responses to things, which is just like my favorite. Like as far as a person who to give feedback, it's like the best. Uh, especially you know what she's of, you know what she's feeling. Yeah, she's just like wow, you get really excited, which yeah. is exactly what you want. Um, and she also played a shitload of the original Crashlands during the beta. I think she played like eighty hours of it or something like that. Like she was just glued to the damn thing. And base building was one of the big things for her. So she actually did all the. I mean, she usually doesn't like combat and stuff like that, but she did. She went through the whole game, uh, like loved it, and then also built a sprawling like. Massive mega base in that thing. So, using her as sort of the, your emotional test case for residents of a, a different build mode in the new game world is a kind of a, a useful thing. So, I had sketched out basically the pieces and how this was going to kind of uh, all be laid out. And it is different than the original. The original uh, walls are a whole tile, which I always found kind of annoying because they're just they're just so bulky, like they're just gigantic. Uh, and they're, like, they're like a short, bulky cylinder thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so it's like they, they don't feel like walls very much uh, because of their height. But then also the width is just so – it's just – they're so fat that like visually they just take up too much damn room. They don't leave a lot of room for all the other cool stuff, the actual stuff, right? And so well, – and, and to go back to that earlier discussion is because we started with – the the problem we started with was oh, the the world has to be tile based and we don't want to have to solve the problem of what if a thing is smaller than a tile when it comes to collisions right yeah. we started there and designed walls based on that yeah which you could yep. you could do right but it's not necessarily designing for ideal emotional impact through the day so mm-hmm. uh, in this case now my proposal was basically these 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 walls that are skinny right so they they look more like actual fucking walls where they're not uh, seven hundred feet thick by default. And I had mentioned this to uh, to my wife before I had actually drawn it up, and I had sort of the previous version of what the game would look like using the previous rules from original Crashlands, which to me was just so heavy. That because it was, cause you're also trying to add height, because we want to have there to be the feeling that there is a wall there, so there's actual height to it. Yep. And it's yeah, and as soon as you took those big ass blocky <laughs> yes. tiles and then pulled it up into like a pillar. Yeah, it was outrageous. It looked like you were building a fortress. Just, yeah, they're know. so huge. Yeah. It's just ridiculous. And but Diana's response was like, because it's the same as the original. So she was like, well, I mean, it's fine. You know, like, I think it's fine. I like the original. Yep. And I was like, I mean, I know, but I'm going to need you to just but like. That's, but that's not the target. Yeah, I'm going to have you come back like tomorrow and check on this. So I get the new one worked up and then I just like have her come look at it. And I was like, yeah, so here's kind of, here's what I'm thinking. And she's like, oh, she's like, I mean, I'm going to be building houses for like dozens of hours. <laughs> and I was like, yep. that's the, that's the response I want. Not like a, it's fine. It's fine. I can deal. I can deal. Yeah. 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 I don't want you to deal. Like, I don't want anybody to be dealing with this. I want it to be the case that you just get, it just grabs you and you got to go do stuff now. Uh, and that's it. You know? Yeah. And it's, it's kind of like that feeling of, I remember when I, when I, uh, was playing Kerbal Space Program and like as you're slapping mm-hmm. your your rocket parts together and sending them up, you know, um, it's just so fast and easy to 
to just like tweak the rocket and try a new thing, you know, that uh, you just kind of can't help but like, I'm like, well, around the time I first really started getting into it, like I would go to bed dreaming about rocket designs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and they were all completely ludicrous and did not work at all. But I, it was all I could do to, to keep from like jumping out of bed and going and like trying it, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and like, that's the, it's not about like, I mean, it's fine. Like that's not a good bar. No, that's not a good no, bar to hit. It needs to be just, yeah, it needs to be, it needs to have hooks. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I don't know. It's been, it's been an interesting week with Crash Ins 2 stuff, really kind of digging into this uh, build mode, water, environment design. It's been a lot of fun. Uh, so let's get on to questions. Uh, these questions come from our listeners over at podcast.bscotch.net. High step footed question comes from underscrumrompierbly, who says, let's daydream a bit. 10 years from now, Butterscotch Shenanigans has between 50 to 75 employees. Mm, no, thanks. This is a day <laughs> nightmare. Yeah, what is this? What kind of games would you want to be making with a studio that size? Would you be comfortable running a company that size someday? Well, no. Nope. No, thanks. <laughs> For starters, no. Um, so, I, you know, we've, we've kind of gone back and forth about this question over the years. Um, uh, well... What if we gone back and forth between? I think well, we've gone back and forth between like the idea of thinking like, what would that be like? Well, it's actually, it's, about, it's been about need, I think more than anything, right? Because yeah. there's, there's, a, there's, a, there's the conventional model out there, especially driven in the tech scene because it's all startups and you know venture capital money and so on. People buying each other, all this kind of stuff, uh, which is that the life cycle of a company is some founders get together. They have an idea. They figure out how to mm. how to get it into action, and either they do it themselves, or they find people to do it, or they convince people to give them a fuckload of money, or they bootstrap whatever. But there's a, there's a whole process at that part, right? But then they start going, and then uh, your metric of success is that suddenly you can't handle the thing that you've created, and the only way to handle it is to bring more people in. Mm. And the faster you've made a thing that you can't handle and need people to come help you handle. <laughs> that's the marker of success. And like, and uh-huh. the more that accelerates and gets, like, I, was, I, was, I saw a series of, of, uh, of just fascinating, um, uh, messages by this guy who started a company. It's called like fast or something. I don't know what it is, but some web company, uh, but they're like 18 months in and they have 250 employees. Right. And, uh, and, and I was, I was just looking at those two numbers and I was like, how, what, how <laughs> could that be a good experience for anybody, right? Uh, They've barely figured out what's even happening. They don't know what's happening, right? And they like, try to get 250 people all pointed in the same direction. Yeah, and, and, and literally everybody in that company has been there, like statistically, has been there like less than six months, right? And we know that <laughs> it takes six months to a year to like – Just to get started. <laughs> just to get started, like to bring somebody in. But also if the company itself is shifting at the same time, they, like everything is happening at once, right? So <laughs> – I don't know. It just it just sounds horrible. Yeah, but we, the thing that we've that we've always gone back and forth about is there's this idea out there that the marker of success is growth, right? Growth in employee numbers. in employee numbers specifically, but also that the goal is growth, not just that the metric of success, but that but that by being successful, you get to be more successful by bringing in more people who in turn make you more successful. And this is now how you build upon success is by growth, specific through. Specifically through employing people, right? And and so there's that model that is like the way you're supposed to do it, right? And also has this has this assumption out in there built in there that everybody is making, which is that more people is good, right? Mm. That if you have problems, you bring a person in to fix those problems. That if you have too much work, you bring in people to do that work, right? That's the core underpinning of this idea of growth, and. And this is also the battle that we've always had, which is like, oh, we need like we don't have enough time, or like, oh, we need to add a QA department or whatever, right? It's what does that next step look like? Do we hire an outside company to manage it for us? Do we bring on an employee and grow the team? Do we try to develop tools or buy tools that can do this for us? Like what is the mm-hmm. what is the move there, right? And the the gut reaction that we've always had every time there was something that was just like we just need to dealt with was do we need to grow the team? Like, do we need to hire somebody to do this? And I think what we've, what we've learned over the years is that 
is that, or I guess what I personally have kind of settled on is like my model of thinking about growth uh, in terms of personnel is that, is that growth of personnel basically means you tried literally everything else, right? Yeah. And it, and that's now insufficient. So you're doing DevOps, you're investing in tools, you're doing all the kind of, you're buying, you're buying tools from other people that do the work for you. You're focusing on quality. You're, you're just doing all these other things because it's only when all of that isn't sufficient that you even can onboard somebody successfully, which is also because what we what, fucked up in the beginning, right? Yeah, because, because what you're doing then is you're, you're onboarding someone into an established high quality process with clearly system. With clearly stated goals and procedures, yeah, right. Because the as opposed to just right. throwing people at a problem, at, at a sort of an amorphous problem that you can't quite identify, and hoping yeah. for the best. Because that <laughs> exacerbates the problem, and it, is, it isn't setting somebody up for success, right? Yeah. Um, and so, so I think that's kind of at least me personally, where like how I would sort of explain what I think about growth, which is that growth is a combination of. Um, uh, a failure in in your ability to like to do the work that you're trying to do um, by any other means, mm-hmm. coupled with the system in which that work has to happen being as good as you can possibly make it. It's like take those two things, and if you're in that scenario, that's the time when you can actually invest in the person. Because the fact is that. Adding people to your team is so fucking expensive. It is so fucking and hard and, and, and hard. And now, yeah. and it and it's not and it's not just you add someone to your team. It's like, oh, we got seventy employees. Like, great. Now we can do in our case, you know, ten x the amount of work that we were doing previously. It's like, no, most of the work now is managing the company, actually. Mm-hmm. And uh, and and now you have to make something that's worth. Because I also think about the cost of that. Like, what's the monthly burn rate? Yep. If you have seventy employees, right? Ten million dollars. I don't know something. It's a lot, whatever it is. Where the fuck is that money going to come from, right? Now all of a sudden we're just like – and the idea of I guess this daydream, right, is that, oh, now we have the money to do it. But if we have the money to do it then just spend it all, then no, we don't, mm-hmm. right? Now we're just back that, on that treadmill again. But there's also a question there, but what, like what, what kind of experience would you be able to generate for people – and yourself. And yourself. Well, not, I think that there's two different questions here. So one is like, what kind of games would you make with that kind of like firepower, right? So imagining the system scales up from what it currently is effectively and is like 75 people. One, the reality is like with just six people on our team, we do so much shit every week that if if this was possible to fully scale up to like 70 people, uh, I don't even know what would be happening to be honest. Like – you wouldn't know what was happening. I just wouldn't know. It's like because <laughs> like, the amount of power that we have with just a few people is is kind of dumb. So like I don't know. I I. That's like well, that's a, kind of the that's kind of the fun of it though, right? It's, I think I'm I'm on the I'm in agreement with the, the idea that like growth is a last resort to get to your goals. Yeah. Right. Like you should be because if if you're growing then you're adding people into everything that you're already doing, and if the stuff that you're doing um, isn't working, then you're just adding people into a broken system. Yeah, and now your costs so growth, are going way up within your your incremental gains by adding people are, are yeah basically and zero. If yeah, so growth system. growth should be more about well, it should be about expanding a working system that just needs more output. That's yeah. a, that's a thing. So that um, adding a person truly actually adds output to that system, right? Uh, or it's about adding new capabilities, right? Yes. So in our case, it was like, we we knew that that like QA was a big problem. We knew that business management was a problem. We knew that deployments were a problem, right? Um, and we have, we have people doing those things now. Uh, mm-hmm. And those are departments that are constantly uh, developing and working on their processes, but we're not growing them. We're not adding more people into them because we have the number of people that we need in order to refine the systems further. Yeah. Well, and, and then not, the focus once we brought all those people on was on having each of them focus on the systems. quality and on the systems. So that yeah. the systems, so that, because there's always more work being added just constantly, right? Yeah. Uh, to, to all of those systems. And so by having people focus on how the work itself gets done and improving that, then it makes it so that they can manage more and more and more stuff. 
right, more and more effectively. So that if it does get to the case at some point where we say like, oh, but now that we, we have six games, we have this cycle where we try to keep them up to date, uh, and and we've exhausted everything that we can do technically with our build pipeline and with you know deployments and with QA and with all this kind of stuff. And the only possible move is to get another programmer in here to help build those systems or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. Then yeah, at that point, that's what we're going to have to do, right? But that isn't. But there have been various points, even just in the past couple of years, where we're like, "Oh shit, do we need another sure? You know, like do we need another mm-hmm. person in this role because like his workload was so intense?" Um, and uh, and but again, that comes with the assumption that adding a person will fix the problem. Right. Yeah. But in reality, we had a bunch of systemic and process-related things going on that needed yep. to and, do and historical basically. ones, right? Because mm-hmm. because like a lot of what was what was consuming his time. This is another important thing in, in the games industry uh, is that because you're on a product release cycle, that your needs and like what's really important when and what's on a bottleneck when and all that kind of stuff uh, changes sort of month by month. And uh, it's very cyclical. It's very cyclical, and it's really easy while you're in the 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 frenzy of a particular resource just being fucking bottlenecked and like just mm-hmm. unavailable to think, oh God, we need to add a person to this, right? Uh, only to find, you know, two months later, that person's not the bottleneck anymore. What were you going to do with two people? You know, like what's, mm-hmm. what's you, what's you had them. Uh, and every well, time and- we've had this discussion, it's always been when somebody was drowning, right? And, but the reason for that person drowning was, was, was almost always, but not always, was almost always the end result of some series of systemic or historical uh, failures. Yeah. Yeah. And adding a new person in there would require that person who is currently overworked to train someone. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And that person On who top just of, added won't even be yeah. useful for another six months or a year. Yeah. yeah. By which point the problem has passed and uh, now you've got uh, two people problem. with, with uh, nothing to do. So. Yeah. <laughs> and they've got the feed the beast problem, right? Which is now you need something for those people to do. So now they generate more work and now they generate more problems. And now they're doing yeah. this inside of a broken system. And so now the system gets even more broken and like, oh, better hire somebody else now to help fix this. Right. And so, yeah, I think is, this uh, is where, I mean, there's, there's a big gap. Uh, do they call it like the chasm or something like that? That's like known in, in both startup and, and small businesses where there's, it's, it's relatively easy to get the first bit of, of sort of sustainable growth out of your company. Um, and then a lot of companies die in this sort of like, there's a valley between that and like bigger success. And when you look at why, it's actually because it's because of the growth problem, which is that most companies try to solve their problems in this particular way, which by is not hiring people. by hiring people, which is, as we've talked about, expensive in every way, not just in terms of money, but in, expensive in terms of uh, overall production, stuff like that. Um, and most businesses don't have clear enough processes and pipelines in place to make it truly the case that when they hire someone, they're hiring the right person. I mean, we didn't, frankly, early on. Um and it's it's so hard to figure out that that's where that's where most companies like you you get that first bit right we're like yeah adding one person when you only have one person is generally good because like there's so much shit to do right but it is the case that as you kind of scale this stuff up uh, the the marginal you start getting some marginal returns on well on it's the it's the complexity of scaling is exponential yes right because. Because the the impact of adding a person is now that that person can interact with all other people and all systems, right? And and vice versa. So all systems now are affected by the fact that that person now exists. And so every person you add now has that times the number of people and systems that are already there, uh, number of of dimensionality in which they they change the complexity of the system, right? And yeah. so so yeah, adding one person like you added one connection. That's all. That's all that's happened, right? You had two people. Now there's three connections. I think it's actually geometric growth, whatever the hell it is, yeah, right? But it just it just starts to grow really, really fast. And uh, and and even going from one to two people is very hard, right? Because because it's the moment you add that management layer um, of having to figure out like you got to communicate. You got to communicate. Like because <laughs> the fact is like we made original Crashlands without any systems, right? Because we just relied on the fact that we all had exactly the same goals. We all have exactly the same incentives. We all knew what we were all trying to do, and uh, and then we got away with mm-hmm. having no systems, right? The moment we started to add people, all of a sudden, like, they needed to know why we were doing things. Their incentives weren't the same as ours because they're not running the company, right? We're guaranteed to be in this for the long haul. But people we hire, like, 
their careers could be whatever they want them to be, right? So, mm-hmm. like, they don't need uh, to stick around. Yeah. Yeah. We hope they stick around. I guess we probably hope they stick around, depending yeah. on what happens, right? <laughs> uh, but yeah, like, like, things aren't the same, right? And like, our, and our, 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 even our way of doing work, it's like now all of a sudden we have to think, like, oh, because in the past we just like, we, we all love to work. So we didn't even worry about it. We're just like, oh, yeah, we'll just all work. Just the, what's the problem, right? And now all of a sudden you have to be like, oh, no, we need to be like, we need to make it clear that like what the work week looks like. And, Mm-hmm. And like, what does it mean to like take time off or take a break or whatever? Like all of a sudden stuff that we just took for granted is just like, we're not even worried about this because we know we're all invested. Into it's this stuff moment. that you never had conversations about before. Yeah. Uh, like, there's no systems, right? So it's that, it's, yeah. and that was where we fucked up the first time is we, we didn't realize that we didn't have systems. We just didn't, it wasn't a thing we even just identified as a, as a problem, right? Until we brought new people in who didn't have the same enormous set of assumptions that we had mm-hmm. uh, that yeah. were all implicit. Right. And all of a sudden, like everything had to become explicit and the shape of the work had to change. And the question of like, how did we know what we were supposed to do? Right. Like, yeah, yeah I, I do. I do really like that. That framing though, basically saying like growth is a last resort to accomplish your goals. Um, because it is the worst possible option. <laughs> yeah, it's the, it's the worst you know, way to solve your problems. It's the uh, worst way to solve. It's the worst, most expensive, hardest way to solve your problems. Um, so do you need to be every very clear other about it, basically, right? Yeah, do every other thing first. Get your house in order. Yep. Yeah. yeah I, the you- idea of us scaling up to like seventy people, I think, is just. I mean, that, that would if that were if that were to happen, I see that happening on the order of like. 50 years. You know what I mean? Like there's <laughs> right. one person every year and a half or two, just slowly. Well, and in. I think there are, I, I think it's like, if, if our goal was to say like, be, be a self-contained like publishing house, you know, where we wanted it as an entity, be just like spitting out games and we wanted to like establish a, a practice, a way of doing things. Right. And it's like an establish an, an IP that has lots of different things in it. Right. Um, I could see basically if that was the a model, right? Like, yeah, we absolutely cannot make five games at once with with our team, right? Correct. If we wanted as a company to be able to make five games at once, then growth is the only way to do that. But the yes. question is, how would that work, right? And the way that would work is that we would have to be so fucking confident in our systems that we've established making one game at a time that we believe that we could train up a new team. That we could to train up that. a new team to start doing that. And then they could yeah. do the same and, and then we could start, you know, building a system that way. We'd have to have a very clear, but the goal there again, it wouldn't be growth. It would be specifically to say, like, we want to make more games. The and that is bottlenecked. There's no way around the fact that we can't make two games. Time. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And and again, there's no guarantees there. Cause because like Sam was talking about, that could destroy the, the studio. Because yep. what if because if we add an entire new team of people, that's a mm-hmm. big that's a big jump in, in burn rate. And just because we are now making two games uh, in parallel, which now have their own launch costs, their own release cycle, whatever, um, there's no guarantees that that pays off. Mm-hmm. Well, so you may, you the may, one guarantee, especially with the first time you ever do this, and apparently this is also a thing, like studios that go from making one game to two games, like that's the hard jump because your guarantee is actually probably that you're going to make both games worse than you made the last one. Game. And slower. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. slower. Yeah. So. so, so it's, so it's more likely uh. that, you know, the, the move would have to be like bring in a, a new group of people, but actually have them join the production process on the current game in production, mm-hmm. uh, work on parts of that game, be totally integrated in the process for like a couple of years. Right. Then they can spin off. But at that point, then you're like, well, we figured out how to take this group of people, this group of now like, you know, six developers or whatever, all working on the same game. Um, we figured out a bunch of systems with that. Now we're just going to, again, just make a game with this larger team and not make two games at the same time, mm-hmm. right? Because that's what we figured out how to do. And it's a risk to break it apart now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so uh, it's, I don't know, it's hard. Uh, well, I think, I think the thing we settled on is, is the conclusion that, that it's all a treadmill, right? Yes. Because you can add somebody else to the team. Yeah, absolutely. To, to generate something else, right? Assuming that you've done a good enough job that adding a person to a team truly does that. Um, but people are not solution. They're not just people and tools. They're not, they don't just create solutions. They, they change the, the shape of the problem, right? Mm-hmm. 
And if they're if they're coming in with a solution, that means they're making some problem easier, right? Which means you get to do more of that thing. Up until the point paradox. Where you, yeah, where you break back even, which is Jevons paradox, right? Is is you you improve a system and therefore you use the system more, and now you're back at square one, maybe with more throughput, right? So if that throughput is valuable enough, then like the end result is is good. good. Yeah. But there's there's never a situation though where you're just like, oh yeah, like I figured out how to like run a company where you know I'm just not involved. It's like it's just running itself. Uh, you know, we're just uh, games like every time we had a new person, we just make games 5% faster or whatever. Like, or I guess one <laughs> over the number of people percent faster, yep. right? Uh, it's like, it's like, and it, we just got it all figured out. It's going, it's like, it's like, no, it's if we doubled the size of our team, our games would just become twice as complex, right? Or take twice as long or, to make or be twice or as longer big or than twice as long. Right? Yeah, exactly. Actually. Longer, yeah, because it's not because it's not a perfect efficiency. And so, and the end result of that is what is okay, well, is it the case? That a game that is twice as complex or twice as big or whatever will has make greater, twice as much money? Has greater success potential? Eh, no. Yeah, no. Probably not. Probably, no. Probably not. So what are we actually accomplishing by doing this, right? Uh, there's only one dimension along which I see growth besides just like foundational to like keep things running and and to solve the 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 back catalog, the ever-growing back catalog, catalog of problems, which is that we have games to maintain, Right. Yeah, and every time we finish a game, and launch it, we got to maintain that one too now, right? And so that's the one scenario where I can. That's like very obvious to me. Like over time, we have to add people to deal with. Same deal with QA. As as games get as our games get more successful and better, and we have more players. Then there's now customer management stuff too that we mostly don't have to deal with mm-hmm. at the moment. So there there are like these kinds of pieces of it that I can see definitely needing to expand with a direct like. Perfect. Once we've again shored up the systems, now there's a direct benefit to adding those people. But as soon as we're talking about adding people to help build the product, right, then now we don't actually know if that's worth it. And we can't know ever, even once we have done it and launched some games. We yep. will never know if that was the right move, right? And yep. I think that's the really important thing about, about how you're thinking about it is like, is, is, is increasing production actually linear, cor- linearly is correlated, correlated yeah. with the outcome? And if we're, if we're so for, and this is, we're talking about games here, right? Because there are some things where, yeah, absolutely. Like, you know, at, at, if you're, if there's you're a one-to-one pasta, relationship, you make pasta, need whatever, more right? pasta yeah. making machines and more yeah. people running those machines and you're going to, and the demand is there, which I mean, you know, maybe that's not, also required. But, yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. There are some scenarios where that's true, but games is not one of those scenarios. No. There's, there's not a tight relationship between what your game is and, and how well it can do in a market. Um, so, or, or rather the cost of your game. Yeah. The cost of, your of, game. of yeah, producing yeah. your game. Yeah. 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 It's complicated. Uh, but yeah, so I guess to answer then the, the question of what would we do? Sell the company if we had immediately and get the fuck out of there. That's what I'd do. Yeah, we just, yeah, just yeah. Like, run for the hills. <laughs> that's what we do. Uh, so that's all the time we have for this week. We'd like to thank our producers, Fat Bard and Jen Coster, for putting the podcast together. And thanks to our community moderators who keep our Discord running. To get more involved in the Butterscotch community, just go to podcast.bscotch.net, where we have links to the Discord, a way for you to donate, and links to the archives. Thank you all for listening. We'll see you next week. Goodbye. Bye.